So um, the biggest thing that Brandon communicated last week was that the best picture the Bible uses to describe the church is that it's a family. That, that it's a family. In fact, um, we think it's, at New City Church, we think it's such a significant indication and description of what we are together that we've actually staked our whole vision on that word family. That we exist to live as the family of God together, proclaiming and demonstrating the gospel of grace to one another in our city. And, and, and church planning is this incredibly personal process uh, initially. And, and, and the reason, one of the reasons why uh, our vision is to live as the family of God together, because I, as your pastor, the one that God put this vision in Megan and I when we lived in Indiana, uh, the, the way that I met God is that I had a very broken family growing up. I was, I was raised uh, as an only child to a single mother. Um, it's not a knock on my father. It's just really what it was. And, um, but some kids on my basketball team when I was a middle schooler brought me in and introduced me to the family, the family of God. And, and I, I just tell you, I just long to see more and more people come to meet the family of God. I think it's the best apologetic, the best defense of the gospel that we have as a church, is our, is our community, what God has given us together. And so uh, this has been the song in my heart uh, since that day, and, and it will be for years to come. Um, so as we talk about the family of God, last week Brandon talked about how, how there's different roles in the family of God. There's different roles of leadership and different types of leadership uh, in, in the church. And one of those roles is the, the biblical role of an elder in the life of a church. Now, uh, you may be thinking, how is that going to help me live a godly life this week? Uh, I promise you it will because uh, it is impossible to flourish as a Christian in an unhealthy church. Did you hear that? It's impossible to flourish as a Christian in an unhealthy church. Chances are, if you've been a part of another church before, and many of you have been, and you left that church for one reason or another, it was probably because of unhealthy or unbiblical leadership being in place. That's typically what happens. So, guys, this is so crucial for your spiritual maturity, what we're talking about this week uh, and next week. Uh, and, and really, the way that we work as a Presbyterian church is that the power is in the hands of our people. That uh, under God's direction and, 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 and spirit that you would nominate men for the office of elder and deacon that would then be vetted and then put up for election, uh, and then you would elect them into office and they will lead you. That, that, that's the model that we have. It's, it's not one guy kind of calling the shots. It is the church, the body of believers, um, the family of God, putting forth those men into leadership uh, roles uh, of elder and deacon in the church. And as we, Brandon talked about last week, those aren't the only roles of leadership in the church. They're not even close, but they are significant ones. The New Testament offers more instruction on eldership even than other really important topics like the Lord's Supper, like baptism, the Sabbath, or spiritual gifts. It talks about elders more. It's because it's so significant for us. So if you've got a Bible, where we're going to be for the next two weeks is 1 Timothy chapter 3. So if you've got it, go ahead and open up to 1 Timothy chapter 3. And in typical fashion, I'm going to start with the end instead of the beginning of 1 Timothy 3. And uh, 1 Timothy 3, 14 through 16 uh, says this. And as a reminder, we, we preached through 1 Timothy about three years ago uh, for, because that's when we uh, nominated and elected our first group of elders. 
Um, but I want to come back to this because he talks about the family of God and the roles of elder and deacon and how significant they are to the life of the church. So Paul writes this to Timothy, who's pastoring the church in Ephesus, and he says this, I hope to come to you soon, but I'm writing these things to you so that if I delay, you, Timothy, may know how one ought to behave in the household of God, which is the church of the living God, a pillar and buttress of the truth. So here's what we notice is that Paul sees the church as a family. He doesn't see it um, as an organization. He doesn't see it as a church service. He doesn't see it as an institution, but he sees it as a family. So he's saying that whatever was written before those three verses right there, which is the qualifications of elders and deacons in the local church, uh, he's saying that he's saying that uh, that he's writing this to them for that sake, because the, the handling of the truth is that significant for him. That, that it's essential to the family of God for functioning as it was intended, having elders and deacons. Now, he says that the, the, his vision for the church is that it would be a pillar and a buttress of truth. We don't use those words too often, especially buttress, so let me just explain those real quick. A pillar. What is a pillar? Well, a pillar is an object that it would have been so familiar in Ephesians, in the, in the culture of the church in Ephesus, because there's this uh, ancient, uh, one of the seven ancient wonders of the world is actually in the ancient city of Ephesus. It's called the um, Temple of Artemis. There we go. And the Temple of Artemis is so significant because there are a there are hundred columns around uh, the Temple of Artemis that hold up the, the, the roof, and they're like 50 feet tall, and, and many of them still exist today. So a pillar is made to hold up the roof high. So what, what Paul is saying here is that the church is the, the, the pillar and buttress of the truth, meaning that it's meant to hold the Word of God high. Like that if, that if a church isn't holding the Word of God high, it's not the church he had in mind. It's not the family that he had in mind. Secondly, he says the, word, uh, the, the church is a buttress or a, a buttress is a foundational element that is responsible for holding the building firm and steady at the ground level. So Paul says in relation to the family of God, the church and its officers hold firmly to the truth that that's their job. It indicates that there's a potential risk of us holding loosely to the truth. And if you hold loosely to the tr truth, then, then you're, you, you don't become the, the church of the family that God had intended. And so the role of the, the officers of the church, the elders and the deacons of the church, is to hold the truth firm and to hold it high. So that's why we're taking two very, three very significant Sundays out of the life of our church to make sure that we get this. Because we're all coming in from different angles and different church experiences. Some of us don't have any church experience. And so in some ways, this might seem like a strange sermon, but I promise you, it's so significant that God calls us to give time to it. So here's the big idea of where we're going today with this sermon. It's this, the family of God needs spiritually qualified elders called to serve through word, prayer, and care in Jesus's church. So outline's real simple. Who are elders and what do they do? All right, so let's dig in together. 1 Timothy 3, this is, a, a, as I said earlier, this, this letter that was written to Timothy, who was a pastor of the church in Ephesus. Now, the interesting thing about this is, is um, Paul planted this church about eight years earlier, 
and it stayed with them for three years and then left. And what he told them when he left, it's written in Acts chapter 20, actually. He, he's, he's meeting with the, with, the, with the elders on the beach right before he leaves, and he says, listen, guys, there's going to be fierce wolves that come in and try to destroy you and the church through false teaching. Listen, guys, you got to get this right. you got to hold firm to the truth. you got to hold the truth high. That's what's going to help you weather this storm. And, and, and what happens five years later is that Paul gets a report from Timothy that the church is in shambles, that there are these, there are these guys, um, uh, Hymenaeus and Alexander, were two people that had to be excommunicated from the church because they were teaching such false doctrine. It's a mess. And so he writes this letter to them. So church, what you need to know is that if we don't take this seriously, we'll be just like that church was. We'll be just like many churches in our country and in the world that don't hold the, the truth of God firm and they don't hold it high. And so here's what he says about the office of elders, okay? 1 Timothy 3, 1-7. This saying is trustworthy. If anyone aspires to the office of overseer or elder, he desires a noble task. Therefore, an overseer must be above reproach, the husband of one wife, sober-minded, self-controlled, respectable, hospitable, able to teach, not a drunkard, not violent, but gentle, not quarrelsome, not a lover of money. He must manage his own household well with all dignity, keeping his children submissive. For if someone does not know how to manage his own household, how in the world will he care for God's church? He must not be a recent convert, or he may become puffed up with conceit and fall into the condemnation of the devil. Moreover, he must be well thought of by outsiders, so that he may not fall into disgrace, into a a snare of the devil. So the first thing we're going to look at right now is just the spirituality of uh, the, the role of, of elder. The, the first and foremost, the elder is a spiritual man. Now, just for the covenant partners in our church, let me just say this. In about two weeks, we're going to open up nominations for elders and our first class of deacons. And so what, what we're doing in this series is helping equip you to choose prayerfully and to choose well. And then we'll go through a process that will last about six months after that where we'll help determine prayerfully through equipping and teaching and meeting whether, you know, if the theology, the desire, and the culture of that man is right for New City Church. And then we'll bring that who's left before you. Um, so that, that's why this is significant. I just want, didn't want to um, not, not make that clear. So you've heard in, in the New Testament, you hear different words like elder, uh, overseer, pastor, shepherd, and it can be confusing sometimes to know which one is what. But what we, what we see that's really helpful um, in, in places like Acts chapter 2, 1 Timothy 5, 1 Peter 5, is that Paul actually uses the words interchangeably. And so when we hear overseer in 1 Timothy 3, we need to think pastor, shepherd, teacher, you know, those kinds of elder, those kinds of lines. So they're all kind of the same office for us is what we're saying. It's a, it's a spiritual office. Um, the first thing to note, notice about the office of elder uh, is that a man, if he aspires to be in spiritual leadership in God's family. Um, now, what we, I do want to say this. 
again, Brandon taught uh, more in depth on this last week, but we see the continued theme of men uh, being called to give spiritual leadership in the offices of elder and deacon in the life of God's family, his church. Not because they're better than women, not at all, um, but because that's God's design. And so that, that's the part where we have to be submissive to God's design in those roles. Um, we, di- we didn't get to draw that up, but we see the pattern all the way from the garden when he made Adam, right? And it's this design. And what we said last week is that, is that our desire is that, that the women of New City Church would absolutely flourish if we're doing this well, all right? That it wouldn't be this competition, but we would grow up together to maturity in Christ. So notice first that nearly all of the qualifications are about character rather than skill. Now, I don't know about you, but when I typically think about someone who is a pastor or elder, I think about their skill. I don't think as much about their character. And that's because character isn't something we think about until we see bad character, right? And so, but he he says the character is so crucial for the leadership of your church. First thing he says is this, is that this man should be above reproach. And that means blameless. That doesn't mean sinless because that's impossible. And if you've met any of us, you would agree. Uh, but, but it means that there's no obvious inconsistent flaw in the man's character or the doctrine uh, that would come back against the name of Jesus. That's what it means. Uh, the second thing he says is, is the husband of one wife. Now, this literally means in the Greek, a one-woman man. So I want to I park on that just for a second because that could be interpreted in a multitude of ways. So at first, it rules out the possibility of polygamy, okay? That's, that's the first thing there. Let's, let's put that out there. But, but some, think, some think this verse means that a man must be married to be an elder. And, and what I want to say is that that's inconsistent with what Paul says about singleness. Paul says singleness is a gift. And then if you look at the life of Jesus, Jesus is the chief shepherd, the chief elder. Single, right? So, so this rules out the possibility that a single qualified man could not become an elder in our church. He most certainly could. And so we need to think through that. Some people think uh, that this means that a man cannot remarry. Um, say a wife dies and, and he remarries. Um, and so that, that's what some people think, but, but that's inconsistent with what Romans 7 teaches, that if a, if a spouse dies, that the other spouse, the remaining spouse, is free to remarry. So it doesn't mean that. Some people think uh, that this means that a divorcee uh, who is remarried cannot be an elder. Now, so let me just say this. The Bible does warn us of the dangers of divorce in many ways. And, and in fact, the, it, it warns in two specific ways by saying that, that there are really only uh, two ex- exceptions or, or reasons why you would, you would uh, uh, be able to be divorced in a biblical way. And there, and there are these two things. Infidelity, Matthew 5.32 talks about that, 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 that you'd be able to, to be divorced with a clear conscience if infidelity occurred. And secondly, uh, abandonment. And 1 Corinthians 7.15 talks about that, the, the desertion of an unbelieving spouse. Um, but, but it's important for us to remember in the same breath that divorce is not the unforgivable sin. Okay, it's, it's really important for us to feel that. Growing up in a family uh, that... Um, is riddled with divorce. Um, I saw my I saw my parents, you know, work through this, walk through this, and it's a very challenging place to to feel and know the grace of God. Um, so, what I want you to know is that if you're in here and you've been divorced, that there's grace for your soul. You need to hear that today. Um, 
that, that God is working and he can work in your life as you submit your life to him. So on this note of eldership, a man who has been divorced before needs to be examined like any other man. It's not an immediate disqualification, especially if there was a, a biblical divorce. Theologian D.A. Carson says that the most important thing to look at regarding this situation is if a man has been divorced is his credibility, meaning this. If the man has, has had a biblical divorce and is remarried even now, is he a credible man? Is he a credible man? If he's a credible man, then this man could potentially be a, a candidate for an elder in a local church. So everybody get what he's saying there with that as we, as we look at the text. Let's keep going here. The, the other character qualities that he mentions is sober-minded, self-controlled, and respectable. So as we're thinking through our local church, the one we're taking ownership of and, and prayerfully nominating men to be elders of our church, we ask ourselves these questions. Uh, how does this man see himself? Is he puffed up and drinking his own Kool-Aid? You know? Is he full of himself? Or is he humble? Is he reckless? Or is he gentle? What do people in the church and outside of the church think about who he is? That's important, Paul says. In a similar vein, he gets a little more specific with self-control and says this, that he shouldn't be a drunkard or violent or a lover of money. Not violent, not quarrelsome. So does this man, does he drink too much? Is he in love with the bottle more than he is Jesus? Um, or is he addicted to anything else, known or unknown for that matter? Is addiction a pattern in his life? He might not be fit for the office of elder. And his, and his uh, wife and his children, if he has them, are they afraid of him? Is, is he kind of a bully in the house? Is everybody walking on eggshells around this man? He might not be fit for elder if that's the case. Does he, does he uh, give away money to the church and to others, or does he love money too much to give money away? These are, these are things that Paul says are important for us to consider in the character of an elder. Is he hospitable? Paul goes on to say. Does, it, does he have people over to his home? Does he make time in his calendar to shepherd the flock of God? Does he have an inviting presence about him? Is he a spiritual leader in the home? Paul goes on to say. I love what Jonathan Edwards says about this. When he's talking about spiritual leadership in the home, he says, every Christian family ought to be, as it were, a little church. And here's what Edwards meant by that. Is that, you know, dad, husband, you're like the pastor of that little flock there. And however you handle and care for that little flock that's in your house really shows us how you're going to handle the flock of God. And, and if you, if, in church, let me just say this. If you think, if you're thinking about men that you might want to nominate for elder and you think, you know, I bet he would be, I bet he would really rise to the occasion in that role. That's not the right way to think about this. Rather, it's to look around and see who's already doing the work of ministry. Because an office and a title does not create obedience, okay? It doesn't do that. We need to look around. So, is it, so Edwards is, Paul leading us into this direction. Is he, is he, is he leading his church? Is he discipling his, his, uh, his little flock at home? 
Um, this qualification is, is key because it reminds us of this principle that Jesus gives us in Matthew 25, which says that those who are faithful in a little can be trusted with a lot. But if they're not faithful in a little, how can they be trusted with a lot? Can he manage his own household well? Do his children and his wife respect him because he's a servant leader in the home or because he brings home the bacon? There's a difference, isn't there? Some have interpreted this passage, and there's a, a sister passage in Titus chapter 1 to say that his children must be believers. The, the language in Titus, the interpretation of it, I think says that. But, but here's the thing about that. Our, the Scriptures tell us that God is the one that saves. We can do everything that we possibly can to raise our children up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord and still not see the fruit, Right? There are many of us that have experienced that. And when we're tempted to think, God, what did I do wrong? I tried so hard. I did everything that I could. What, what Paul is saying here is, is, is not that you've got to make your child a believer. Because you can't do that. But what, 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 he's, what he's saying is that a biblically qualified elder is a man that is desperate for his wife and his children's spiritual flourishing in the home. He's absolutely desperate for it. He'd do anything to see his kids follow Jesus. He'd do anything to lay down his life so his wife might know more of Jesus through him. That's the man you're looking for. That's the elder that you want. He's not looking just the performance of his kids, how, what's their GPA and what's their batting average on the baseball team. He's looking at their character and loving them unconditionally. And... <clears throat> A man that leads in this type of way will have faithful children. Faithful is the better word for us there. Even if they are not yet believers. Um, is there a pattern of recklessness in our children and in our family? If there is, it might indicate that dad's not leading too well at home. He goes on to say this, maturity. He's not a recent convert. So spiritual maturity is key for an elder in the church, more so than gifts as a CEO or an executive, but spiritual maturity, they love Jesus. Just because someone is on fire for Jesus and hungry for the word doesn't necessarily mean he's fit for the office of elder. Because you've got to ask yourself this question, and Paul asks it with the deacons, we'll look at that next week. Has he been tested? What has he walked through in his life? And when he walked through it, what did it reveal about who he is? Because that tells you what type of spirituality that he has. The second part of this point right here, who are elders, I just want to mention this quickly. Elders are collectively a team. So we've looked kind of at the individual man and his character traits and his, his qualities. But elders are collectively a team. I just want to move beyond the individual for a moment and give vision for how we view the nature of elders collectively. Over and over and over again, we see that, that elders, pastors, shepherds, overseers are a plurality, not a single person in the Scriptures. Even when you look at James chapter 5, he, James says, hey, you know, if anybody's sick, call for the elders, plural, of the church, singular, to pray for you. We see this plurality of eldership, not this one guy calling the shots and everybody else just kind of falling in line. That's not how biblical eldership works. And, you know, here's, here's the truth for us. That means that this church is not and will never become a personality-driven church, even if you did have a rock star lead pastor like Brandon Dean, all right? 
It will not become a personality-driven church about one man who's leading the church. Because guess what? That's not a church. That's a cult, okay? I'm serious. But it's so common in our fantasy world of Americans, as Americans, to idolize one person and be devastated when they fall. And they will. Okay, it's, it, it, we're setting them up for failure when we look at church leadership that way. It means that the, whoever's on the stage's authority doesn't count for more. He's one of many leaders. And, and that's why you see us as an elder team sharing the responsibilities. Some of us are on staff. Some of us are volunteer. We're, we're not on staff. Um, but you're gonna, you see us sharing the responsibilities of leadership, not only up front, but throughout the week of meeting and caring for people and showing up at the hospital for folks. I mean, just different types of things like that. Now, let me just say this. Most all of these qualifications are for all Christians. So as you've been thinking about these characteristics for other people, now I think we need to flip it back on ourselves and say, where am I out of line with the Lord? What one of those, what one of those points just kind of stung a little bit for you as you thought about your own life? We do well to take that to the Lord and ask Him to change us, to show us more of His grace. You could ask yourself questions like this. What would other people say about my faith, my spirituality? What does my social media account say about my relationship with Jesus? What what if God shows that to us at Judgment Day, right? That'd be yikes, right? So as you look at those character qualifications, what hits you on that? Take that to the Lord. Second point, second part of the sermon here is this. What do elders do? What, what responsibilities do they have? You know, uh, elders have responsibilities in the family of God just like uh, every believer does. But you think about your own life and your own uh, walk with God and your own maturity. Uh, I can remember whenever I uh, moved out of the house from my mom into my first apartment with four other roommates in a two-bedroom apartment uh, in, in Louisville, Kentucky. It was so interesting um, because after the first week, my, my roommates had a come-to-Jesus meeting with me because I was, I was an only child raised by a single mother. That means I didn't know how to do laundry. That means I didn't know how to cook anything. I literally messed up mac and cheese when I was like 22. I don't know how to do it. So, I mean, I just didn't know how to do anything. So my, my, the, the guys come to me the first week after I've moved in with them and they say, okay, bro, here's the deal. You got to stop eating our groceries. That's why our name is on it, Okay. And the second thing is this, we're done doing your dishes. (laughs) So, you know, it's just funny. As you live in a family, you get to know what the roles are and the responsibilities are. And and the the point is in this, that that there are crucial roles in every family, especially the family of God to be fulfilled. So it's not enough just to have the right men called as elders at New City. That's not enough. That's part of it. But we need the right men doing the right things at New City Church for New City to be healthy. Um, so as, as you begin to think about the men that might be qualified to be nominated as elders in our church, as I said a minute ago, I want you to think about the people that are already doing these things, the people that you see doing these things. So three, three things here. We see that the elders are about word, they're about prayer, and they're about care. So word. So they, 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 they are able to teach, able to preach and able to teach. So since one of the primary functions of elders is to help the church stay theologically grounded, a qualified man is able to understand God's word, 
loves God's word and has theological alignment with New City Church. Subscribing to, to our system of doctrine. So if, if someone is qualified but has convictions, like secondary convictions that aren't like, they're not like primary things, but he's kind of got like this, this thing over here on the side that he likes to talk about that's not really lined up with New City. It could be a view of the sacraments or, or a view of end times or whatever it would be. If that man's convictions are so strong in that area that he feels like he always has to bring them up, even though that's not really where New City's at, this man not, may not be qualified to be an elder. And the reason is, is because he won't be able to, with a good conscience, teach God's word to you, to feed you the word of God. And, and you need to be in that place to do that. The, the last thing we'd want is someone having theological convictions about a certain issue and then feeling like his church, his, his team, his family didn't share those convictions. How could you lead effectively and faithfully in a place like that. So we would encourage that type of a man to find a church that he can really convictionally get behind in, in his gifts and teaching. On the other side of the coin, it can be uh, this opportunity for the enemy to cause division within the leadership of a church. Uh, this is in large part church while we are connected to denomination. When, when, when we set out to plant a church, uh, I had about six other friends that set out to plant a church at the same time. And only one of them is still planting a church or pastoring a church at all. The reason is, is that it's so hard to do ministry when you're not connected to something bigger. None of them were connected to something bigger. The biggest reason why I'm a Presbyterian pastor, and I did not set out to become a Presbyterian pastor. In fact, if you would have told me that God has called me to plant a PCA church in Atlanta, I would have laughed at you 10 years ago, okay? But the biggest reason is because we are connected to something so much bigger than just what's happening here. And it gives us security and footing as we move forward. That if anything were to arise, that, that there would be a layer of covering and protection over us to come in and help us in those moments. This, this, uh, so the other question is this. Does this mean uh, that every elder should be preaching on Sundays? I don't think so. The Bible doesn't limit able to teach to this stage. And part of our American culture has unfortunately kind of put it in that box, but able to teach means, is he able to open God's word and share it in a helpful and meaningful way that it feeds your soul? That's what able to teach means. Uh, the, the second thing that an elder does in, re, in regard to God's word is he, is he guards doctrine for the church. Brandon mentioned this last week, but I want to lean in again. Um, one, one, one of the roles of an elder in the life of a church is to protect the church from false teaching from teaching that doesn't line up with how we interpret God's Word. Um, <clears throat> this means that those who do teach in our church, whether it be with kids, whether it be with a missional community, whether it be with a New City U class, um, that are not ordained, whether they be male or female, that, that ultimately we as elders are responsible for ensuring that they are communing God's Word in a theologically accurate way to the body. Now, we take this seriously. I mean, even the songs that we sing, Phyllis, he leads that team. They're, they're wrestling through the theological accuracy. We've even changed words of songs that aren't theologically accurate. Um, and, and so that is to say we're going to take everything to the mat in that, in that kind of a way. So that means that there's a vetting process for those that teach in New City Church. It's, it's fairly informal at this point because of the size of our church. But in kids' ministry, we use a curriculum that, that aligns with our convictions. Uh, in missional communities, we walk through content with leaders, and if something comes up that's not in alignment, as it certainly will as a church grows, 
then we simply wade into it. We don't run away from it. We wade into it and we say, okay, what does God's word say? Where are we at on this particular uh, issue? And as Brandon said, um, the pulpit is the only place where we see from the word where, where we believe that it's required for ordained men that our elders are on that track, whether it be in our denomination or another denomination that we invite in, that they, they hold the pulpit because this is the authoritative, authoritative teaching of the church right here. And 2 Timothy 2 talks about that. But in other areas of teaching and doctrine in the church, we're to provide, elders are to provide covering, uh, guarding, and equipping for the saints for the work of ministry. At the end of the day, what we're saying is that what is taught in this church is our responsibility, for better or for worse. I mean, something comes up, we're going to handle it. We're going to wade into it. And let me just say this about a young, growing church. There are going to be things that come up. We should not be afraid of those because we get to this place where we only trust one guy to communicate God's word. We have vastly misinterpreted what it means to be the priesthood of all believers. Amen? There are so many teachers in this church that need to be set free to teach God's word. And we want to see God blow open the doors of, of leadership conviction, effective teaching through those of you that are called in this church to do that. We want to help you. This is not about constraining you. This is about setting you free to do what God's called you to do. And so we want to help you do that. And it's, we're responsible for that. And, and, and we're never going to get to a place where it's just one guy doing all the teaching. Because as I said earlier, it's not a church, that's a cult. Um, second thing the elder does is this. He's a man that prays. We're going to look at Acts 6 next week, but in Acts 6, the apostles, um, elders of the church at the time, there's a situation that came up that was going to cause them to um, not pray and teach God's word as much. There was a need that came up in the church that needed to be addressed, and they set aside these seven men to handle the issue that came up, to assist the elders, uh, so that, here's what, here's what the word says, so that they could devote themselves to word and prayer. So, uh, elders are men that give significant time to prayer. Why? Because prayer uniquely reveals dependence on God. Jesus is the head of the church. That's what Colossians 1 tells us. And our authority to lead the church is an imputed authority under Jesus as the chief shepherd. We're, we're, we're taking marching orders from Jesus. And so if we're not connecting with Jesus through prayer, why should we be leading God's church? So a spiritually qualified man is a man that spends time in prayer. Your elders in this church right now are men that pray. In fact, they taught this young whippersnapper how to have a life of prayer, if I'm honest with you. I was so eager and so uh, rearing and ready to go to plant the church that I often forgot to pray. And on more than a number of occasions, they said, uh, hey, can we stop and pray about that? And, and, you know, I was like, I don't know if I really have time. Uh, <laughs> and, and they really taught me how to pray. And so every Wednesday morning, we have a prayer meeting um, that we're praying for whatever you write on that Connect card. We're, we're praying for your souls, whatever's come up. Um, there are men that pray. And, um, and, and I love that because a praying church is a dependent church, and we want to be that. Thirdly, I'm going to land the plane here. It might take a few minutes. So don't get too antsy. Um, is elders... Uh, they, they, they shepherd through the word, through prayer, and care, lastly. So let's read 1 Peter 5. This is kind of a, um, a similar passage where Peter instructs the elders. Read the first five verses here for us. 
says this, so I exhort the elders among you as a fellow elder and witness of the sufferings of Christ as well as a partaker in the glory that is to be revealed. Shepherd the flock of God that is among you. Exercise authority, not under compulsion, but willingly as God would have you. Not for shameful gain, but eagerly. Not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you'll receive the unfading crown of glory. Likewise, you who are younger, be subject to the elders. Clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility toward one another. For God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. So the, the first way that the, the elder cares, the elders care collectively for the church, is they oversee and they manage the church. So to exercise oversight, as, um, as Peter says here, it means to be an overseer. It's one, of those, it's one of those titles for the elders of the church. So this isn't just a spiritual responsibility um, because the church is also an organization. Um, so there is a fiscal responsibility. They don't micromanage, but they lead. In our church, um, our elders approve the big picture vision and the budget that the staff team comes up with every year. We, we, we look at that. We say, hey, where are we going? So, so the very word overseer as an explanation of what an elder is, is a man that says, this church is my church. He's moved from, hey, I go to church to these are my people. Because it's kind of like this principle that all of us have. If we've got skin in the game, we take care of what it, what it is, don't we? If, if it's ours, if you, bar, if you rent a car, you drive it differently than the car that you own. Amen? <laughs> yeah, sorry about that, Enterprise. But, um, you know, you just... You just, you just care for it more. So is, this, is, is New City Church this man's church? You need to ask yourself that question as you think about elders in our church. They're not just fans of church, but are members of it taking responsibility for the care and advancement as servants, not cynics. This includes managing the finances of the church. This is why Paul asked, does this man handle his own money and family well? Because how in the world could we trust them to handle the church's family and money if he can't handle his own? So the way it works is that I, as an elder, lead our staff team and, uh, and, and collaboratively set the vision for the church. That's kind of my role and what I do as, as kind of the, the, the lead pastor of the church. And it's, it's part of my gifting. I, I love it. I, I love the role that, that the elders have given me in this church. And, and our, our elders, uh, some are staff and some are not. They do is they poke holes in that vision. It could be at a staff meeting or at an annual planning retreat or something like that, and they call out the blind spots in the vision, and, and they help strengthen that vision. And it's a key and critical component for us as a church to, to collaborate together as a staff team as we're setting the vision for the church. That's why we're doing the servant leadership team, because our, our leadership has grown so much that we want to collaborate more so that we don't miss things that are so crucial and important. And... and um, now, once we have a clear vision for the next season of ministry, we look at our past finances and we prayerfully set a budget that could fund the vision that God has given us. It's not irresponsible, it's prayerful, considering where we've been as a church and where we're going as a church. And uh, whether that's onboarding new staff to, uh, to lead the vision in a certain area of ministry or bringing on an intern to equip them and also uh, allow them to help us as a church or supporting local or global missions partners that we are missionally aligned with or adding to a benevolence fund to help care for those in need. 
Let me just say that. that that's, let me say this. That's why your uh, continuous generosity is so significant for us. It's, it's not so that we can pay the bills and turn the lights on. Because the moment that we are so focused on paying the bills, we're going to be off the, off the rails on what God's called us to in this city. We want you to believe in this vision that God's given us to live as the family of God together uh, here in this community and see the lost found, to see the, the hurting find healing, to see the broken be put together through the gospel. That's what this whole thing's about. It's not about paying the bills. And so if you consider New City Church your church home and you're not funding the vision that, that, that God has put before us, you need to ask yourself the question, this is serious, is this really my church home? Because we invest in what is significant to us. My hope and my heart is, is that you would, that you'd be behind it financially as well. The second thing that elders do is that so they manage and they oversee the vision, direction of the church, but they also shepherd the flock. And this is significant. Like, like shepherd are to a sheep, and when you think about this, Psalm 23, David talks about this. David is with his sheep, right? He doesn't, he doesn't leave his sheep out there carelessly, but he's with his sheep. He's among them because sheep need a shepherd. And so as, as we think about the men that God may be calling to be elders, the question we have to ask ourselves is this, is does this man live among the flock of God? Is he part of the flock? Does he rub shoulders with the parishioners of our church? Because if he's not a shepherd to the flock, a title and an ordination is not going to make him one. I'll say this, that sometimes in a smaller church like ours, people can expect one person to do all of the shepherding, all of the pastoral care. Um, like for me to always be the one that shows up at the hospital or a counseling situation or, or whatever uh, it would be. And what you need to understand about all of us, however many people, elders we may have at, at one point, um, <clears throat> is that if one elder shows up to care for you, he's representing all of us. And because if, if, if the guy maybe you're not the closest to shows up and that offends you, you need to have a check in your spirit about that. Because God has called us to care for the flock. And, and frankly, there are... You don't want me to show up sometimes, right? You want other men to show up. I'm just, I'm just telling you the truth. They've got more life experience. They've got more experience counseling. They know how to shepherd better than I do. If one of us shows up, all of us are showing up for you. And we count it a privilege to help shepherd your souls. I know we don't always get it right. I know that we disappoint you sometimes. But our heart is to care for your souls and to help point you to Jesus. Let me close with this. Megan and I help plan a church for the first season of our marriage together. Uh, and that church did not follow this model. That church had a domineering, um, charismatic leader who was very winsome. And what he chose to do was to put what I'd call yes men around him. Men that always said yes, no matter what came up. And that church, and that leader fell, and it almost sank the church. But by God's grace, you put it back together and they have this model that is aligned with what we're talking about here. That's what we want to see, church. We want to see the right men in the right place at New City. So let me just show a picture of all of our elders here if, if maybe you're unfamiliar with who they are. Um, Joe's the most beautiful of us all, so um, I don't hold that against us. But just invite you to pray for these guys and to pray for this process because um, we think that God has huge things in store for our church. And we're so thankful to shepherd the flock 
And uh, we pray that God would continue to give us the same grace that he has up until this point. So let's pray together. Father, um, Lord, I'm humbled to be called your son. We're humbled to be called your children. We're so thankful that you love us enough to bring us into your family, that we might feel your love and care. We might call out to you through your spirit, Abba, Father. Lord, meet with us. We ask that you'd protect this church, New City Church, from the schemes of the enemy. We know that fierce wolves will come from time to time. And Lord, um, it intimidates me to even think about that right now, but I know you'll give us grace when those moments come. Lord, I pray that you would keep the leadership of this church, not just elders and deacons, but the entire leadership of this church, male and female, would you keep us humble and grounded in this season of our church, that we may, we may continue to plant a church and invest in a city that gives such glory to your name. Would you help us to hold the truth of God high and firm in all that we do, Lord? It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.